0: I felt like I was casted out from a church, right? I felt like I was invalidated from there no more. And as the years passed by, I joined the motorcycle club, a one percenter club, that I go so deep into it, that to me, I knew it as a brotherhood. May 5th, I got arrested in 2014. I had four felony charges, assault, terrorist threats, brandishing a knife, gang enhancement. And I remember being in jail, sitting in my bunk, and I just remember shaking my head. My God, I'm here, because I'm not walking with you. I'm doing it my way. But my way is just taking me to jail. If it's not gonna be jail, it's gonna be death. And when I'm asking God for direction, my mom invited me to Mexico. There was this pastor there, and I remember seeing them preach as I get to Mexico. As I'm walking through the doors, I start crying. I'm seeing my mom pray for a woman. I'm seeing these brothers of Christ laying hands on the men. And as my mom walks back to me, I remember hugging my mom, crying on her shoulders, telling mom, this is what God has called me to do. I was born in Los Angeles, California, with a mother that accepted Christ you know, and I was in her womb when I was like seven months in her womb. She accepted Christ. And I came into this earth in 1988 of June 15. And my mother, going to church, always took me to church as a newborn, you know, which my father didn't want nothing from God. You know, my mom's family, a lot of them were believers, followers of Christ. So... I was brought up in a Christian home. You can say a mother always talking to me about the Word of God, putting worship music, you know, trying to keep the peace and trying to bring my father to the ways of Christ, which, you know, later on, you know, years passed by and, you know, my mom had her second child, which my brother, and then he had, she had my sister, which were three siblings in total. Growing up in the Atlanta Empire, after we moved from Los Angeles, I was about five years old. And I remember going to school and, going to church. And my mom will always try to keep us together, protected from any harm, from no one to come and hurt us as children, you know, which we know the devil came to steal, to kill and destroy. So at a young age, you know, I used to have family members come over the house, cousins. And at age five, I had an experience where I got molested by a cousin of mine. And I I didn't understand, you know, I just thought it was something to do and, you know, which, Things happened at that time, you know, which later on my mom found out. And I kept quiet from it, you know, I didn't know how to talk about it or speak about it as I am growing up. So I kept this resentment in me and, and hurt that I knew there was something not right about being touched as a child, you know, and later on, you know, you know, I just had this thing to tell my cousin one day and ask him, why'd you do that? And my cousin responded with the word saying, well, it was done to me by a family member so he passed it on to me, you know, it was like a chain and an attachment, you know, which I knew at that time was I had to bring it up. And now I'm going to live with this forever in, in my heart. So I felt free from it at the time. And I was like, well, I got to move on from this. And I forgave my cousin at a young age, you know, and, and I kept going on forward in my life, which later on, you know, growing up, my mom never wanted me to do drugs. My mom never wanted me to join gangs. Miho, she would always tell me, Miho, you need you need God in your life. You need to go to church with me. So then I got introduced playing the drums in church, and I started serving in a church. You know, playing the drums at a young age. But then later on, you know, there was the world too at the same time that I got introduced to drugs, got introduced to to weed, I got introduced to cocaine, I got introduced to meth, to alcohol, all at once. Everything just kept coming at me just at once, just getting hit with these decisions i was making you know and 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 doing them then later on i found myself deep into drugs at a young age but still going to church so i had one foot in church and one foot in the world and and edwin real quick the introduction of
1: all of these things where was that was this just a product of your environment were you you know interested Where was all of that coming from
0: when i got introduced to drugs it all started in high school i used to ditch school at a young age i didn't want nothing to do with school i thought being accepted by kids or, or, or being smart, I thought I was going to be made fun of, you know, which actually being smart was actually the best thing to do because me ignoring the things of school, I even dropped out of school. You know, I just wanted to be accepted. It felt like I was a cool kid the whole time, which reality, you know, all these decisions that, that, that led me to this, you know, was just people were doing things like this and I got introduced to these drugs and, and things in life by following the wrong people. Which this whole time my mom was trying to lead me to follow Christ. And I kept ignoring that walk, you know, which was right in front of me the whole time. My mom was a perfect example, which I ignored that perfect example, which was my mother. And as time was going on, you know, you know, I left the house at age 17, you know, me and my mom had a big argument, you know, so I was pretty much living with my dad at the time. And I seen my dad selling drugs, doing things that I never thought I'd see and doing drugs at the same time I saw my dad doing them. And to me, it was like, well, you know, if my dad's doing drugs, I could do drugs more and more. So I started consuming cocaine at a young age to age 17. So I'm with my father, I would even steal his drugs just for me to take it and use it and go give it to my friends at the time that I used to hang out with. Then later on at, you know, as years go by at age 19, I can't get away from cocaine. And I kept doing it and doing it until this one night, I remember hanging out with some friends at that time I remember finishing a whole bag of cocaine, which in the streets is known as an A-ball. And I went to go ask for more cocaine for one of my friends. I go, hey, man, can I, can I have some more of, of that cocaine? And I remember doing those last three lines in the bedroom. I had my own mirror, and I had them lined up, and I did them. But something felt different. Something didn't feel right. As my heart was beating fast and fast, I started panicking. Something deep inside me kept telling me, you're going to die. That's it, you're not gonna survive this. And they rushed me to the hospital once they saw me having these shakes and they rushed me to the hospital. I remember making it to the hospital right on time. As I get to the hospital, I just remember waking up on the hospital bed and this young nurse comes up to me and goes, Edwin, if you keep doing this, you could die. And I remember just looking at myself and looking at one of my friends waiting for for me right there next to me and just shaking his head too. Like saying, what are we doing? And later on, after I got out of the hospital, I went to go say sorry to my mom one night. And my mom said, it's okay, mijo, you know, you need help. And as I'm crying out for help, you know, this I didn't know what kind of help I needed at the time. But as I'm asking my mother if I could stay there with her because I couldn't go back where I was living. I couldn't go back and hang out with those friends I used to have at that time. I just felt ashamed. I felt embarrassed for what happened to me. I didn't know how to feel accepted. I didn't know how to go about it. And my mother told me that day that I went to go apologize to her because me and my mom had a big argument where I would disrespect my mother. I would curse her out. I would say evil things towards my mom. Really disrespectful. That night actually my mom told me that I couldn't stay with her because I was asking if I could stay there with her and she told me, you can't, the house is full. Your uncle's here, your aunts are here. So I went to go stay at a family member's house. But before I went to go stay at a family member's house, I was already living after the hospital situation. I was living with a friend of mine and it was two girls that lived there. And one of them worshiped the Santa Muerte, which a lot of people know as a reaper. I remember I was curious about it. You know, I was like, well, why do you worship that? You know, why why you're into that? And I remember it was on top of a chimney. She had a water next to it, like glass water next to it, an apple. So she was giving offerings to this reaper. You know, she had money, she had, things that she'll give it to it as a return or, or a promise that she made with this reaper. And one day I go, well, what do I gotta do to, 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 to receive something from it? So I was trying to look for a blessing. I was trying to look for something more powerful for me to overcome whatever I was facing at the moment. And I was looking for help, but I didn't know how to go about it still, which I ignored the things of God as a young child. You know, I, I, I was desiring to follow the world instead of following God.
1: Now, Edwin, in this time when you would think about God, if 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 at all, what did you think about it cuz you had an uh, some type of understanding or awareness that there is
0: God, but when you would think about him, what would you think? When I used to think about God, I would just think of him like God doesn't hear me. And I didn't want nothing to do with God, you know, after what the things I went through as a child, the things that I saw in a broken home. You know, seeing my father beat up my mom. I felt like there was no God. Like God was just a story to me. You know, growing up in a household where you saw just parents arguing, I saw my father in and out of jail. And I thought that was the life to live. So every time I see these dark moments, you know, I want to cry out to God, but at the same time I didn't know how to cry out to God. I remember going to church as a child and I didn't want nothing to do. Majority of times, nothing to do with with church or or with God. To me, it was embarrassing. To me, it felt like I was gonna be made fun of, you know, because my mother would always played Christian music, and you know, I remember her taking me to even to school as a child, you know, and she'll have her her worship music on. i would kind of like try to slide down the car, so no none of my friends would see me, you know. I was embarrassed, you know, to to let my friends know that I knew about God or I went to church or played the drums in a church. So from seeing all that stuff that I was going through, you know, when I was going through my dark moments growing up and trying to reconcile my relationship with my mother, she told me that one night that I wouldn't go to, to talk to her when I said sorry to her for all the things I'd done and she told me that I needed God, I needed help. I told her, I don't need God. I straight out ignored her and, and cursed her out again. And I got mad. I was like, well, son, I know about this Christian recovery home, you know, and I was like, I don't need no recovery home. You know, after my overdose, I told her, I don't need no recovery home you know, I'm okay. But the thoughts that were coming to my mind, I felt like she was trying to take me to like a mental institute where I was going to be wrapped around, which the enemy was lying to me, you know, the the enemy was making me feel like that's not the place to go. So later on, you know, when my mother didn't let me go stay there with her, I moved in with those friends of mine, two two friends of mine that, that one of them worship the Santa Muerte known as the Reaper. So when I was curious to know what was this image or what this, spiritual thing they were into i asked her well what do you do well you got to give it an offering and it'll give you a blessing you know you just gotta do it whatever it asks you to do so i remember my offering was a cigarette and i don't remember telling exactly the reaper what i wanted but i remember something different was going on in my life something supernatural i don't have the words to explain it but i remember seeing visions of myself even sitting down and like this, as I'm talking right now, looking at my hands, looking at my feet, seeing visions of my feet my hands, turning into this reaper, this beast with claws. And I, and I remember getting panic attacks from it. And I'll get up and they'll have to rush me to the hospital, my friends too, at that time, which they thought I was dying or something, but now it was just a panic attack, which the enemy put fear in my mind. So I didn't know how to go about it. So as I'm trying to look for help, going to the hospital, None of this was working for me. And I remember one night falling asleep at that house I was staying in where the reaper was being worshiped. I remember as a child, my mom would put worship music. And that night, for some reason, I couldn't fall asleep. And I remember that night, I turned on the radio and I went to a Spanish radio station and put some Spanish Christian music. And I was able to rest. And as I'm resting, you know, right there, that girl that worshiped the reaper came into my room and goes, can you turn off that music, it's bothering me. And I remember turning the music real low and something deep inside me told me, well, this is not of God, you know, there's something going on. I don't understand, I I just didn't understand what's going on in my life at the moment. I remember the next day from that experience, I woke up and I went to go try to look for help again with my mother. And my mother told me, well, son, you know, you need to look for God. She tells me again, I'm like, no, I don't need God. So then I left my mother's house. I went to one of my aunt's house. And the same thing goes again. My aunt tells me about God. When she tells me about God, I had another panic attack. Even my aunt freaked out. She didn't know what was going on with me. She even gave me a Coca-Cola. It had caffeine, obviously. It just made the panic attack even harsh. And I remember just crying out to God right there, just saying, God, you know, God, I need help. But I just felt like God wasn't listening to me. I felt like there was no answer to this, what I was facing or going through. So I asked my aunt, aunt, can I stay here at your house? Cause I didn't want to go back to the house. The visions that I was having, you know, I was just scared. I don't know what was happening to me. Something supernatural was happening to me. You know, I felt like there was a spirit on top of me. I felt like I was seeing these visions of me just turning into a, a creature, a beast, something not of God at all. And I remember that night staying at my aunt's house And when one of my cousins in the living room were watching a scary movie, which everybody knows the exorcism, as I'm watching this movie, I remember when the girl wakes up at three in the morning, possessed. Ignoring the movie, I fell asleep. The same situation that the girl went through in that movie, I woke up at three in the morning as well. And I woke up with a panic attack. I go to the restroom, try to wash my face, trying to play it off. I did not understand what was going on at the moment, but I did feel this cold, feeling this cold chills that I got in the restroom while I was washing my face. As I'm looking at myself in the mirror, I look at myself like yellow. I look pale. Felt like I couldn't breathe. Felt like something was just making me lose my breath. And as I look up to the mirror, I see a black shadow over me. And I remember running out of the restroom, running, screaming. Waking up my uncle, my aunt at the house, I go, Tia, Tio, help me, I need help. And as I'm there crying, my aunt comes up to me, Edwin, are you on drugs again? I was like, no, I'm not on drugs. I haven't done drugs ever since my overdose. And I remember just falling there on my knees, and I cried out to God and telling God, help me. God, help me. I screamed out. I remember screaming there, asking God to help me. And I felt this peace. And I went to go lay down again. I was able to fall asleep. And that next day, I called my mom in the morning. I told mom take me to that Christian recovery home you told me about. And my mom came right away that same day. I waited for her to get off work. I was impatient, but while I was impatient, I was starting to hear voices. I thought I was going crazy. My mom got there. She picked me up with another member from the church. As we're driving back to Los Angeles from the Inland Empire to Los Angeles, to Inglewood, California. This was September 17 of 2007. When my mom took me to the Christian recovery home, many know as Victory Outreach Ministries. As we're going in the freeway, I remember hearing these voices telling me, Jump out the car, jump out. And I remember I didn't even have my sit belt on, that I grabbed the sit belt, I tied myself, and just hold on to the seatbelt because I felt this force that was scaring me and, and making me want to feel like I had to jump out the car. And I thought I was just losing my mind. I wanted to tell my mom and that sister, like at that moment, like, there's something going on but I felt like they were gonna look at me like I was crazy. The enemy kept telling me in my head like, ain't nobody gonna believe you. So I kept it to myself. So we made it to the Christian recovery home. It was late night, around nine o'clock at night. I remember there's two members from the recovery home. They opened the door, they welcomed me in, and they asked me if I ever accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And I was never led to Christ, but I grew up in a church, you know? But I never knew how to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And yeah, I did the, the prayer. I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior, but the fight wasn't over, whatever I was facing, whatever spiritual attack I was going through. And I remember accepting Christ that day, I felt peace. But at the home, at the recovery home, they had a thing called three days grace, which the third day after the third day, they'll send you to work with the men in the home. And I remember just staying there in my bunk those three days. I was restless, I couldn't sleep. You know, I was tormented from this spiritual attack, these voices that I was facing. And I remember the second day that I was in the home, I was sitting down on my bunk trying to read the Bible, but I didn't know how to read the Bible. And I remember hearing these voices again. There was a window open to the right of me. And I remember hearing the voice telling me, jump out, kill yourself. I was on the second floor. And so I'm hearing this word keep repeating and repeating, telling me suicide, suicide. And I was hearing it from one ear to the other ear, going back and forth that it freaked me out that I got so scared that I ran downstairs where all the men of the home were at. And I ran to them and I ran to the director of the home and I told him, hey, I'm hearing these voices. I need help. And they all got up and they all started praying for me, rebuking whatever was around me. And I remember just feeling this peace. And I was able to go back to my bunk. Now the third day comes at the recovery home. I'm still scared to go to sleep. I was scared to close my eyes. Because I thought I was going to see something. I thought this spiritual attack I was facing was just going to take control of me. And I had this fear. But that same night on the third night, I remember falling asleep. And I woke up again at 3 in the morning. But this time it was not a fear. But I remember telling God that night, God, help me. And when I told God to help me, I fell asleep again. I was like asleep for 10 minutes, I believe. And I woke up again. And I heard a deep voice tell me, it's me. And that voice, that soft voice that talked to me, I was able to fall back to sleep. And I remember I woke up again, like the third time. The third time I woke up, I woke up shivering. I woke up with sweats. My body was going through a shake. And I just remember just shaking, but then I fell asleep. So the next day when I woke up, I woke up anxious, wanted to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I wanted to read the Bible. Something was just different because I felt God come into my life that night. I felt the presence of God that morning, and I started searching for God. I was in the recovery home for a year. After the recovery home, I left the home. I became a youth leader in San Bernardino, California, and I was leading young men to Christ. I was there in the church for a year. I was serving God for two years straight, but once again, when I was serving God for two years straight, you know, I started finding myself being lazy. I stopped reading my word. I wasn't praying as much no more. And I remember scriptures, you know, when Jesus talked to the disciples, telling them, pray so you don't fall into temptation, but I stopped praying and little by little, I started walking away from the grace of God. I started walking from the presence of God. I started going back into the world, drinking again.
1: Edwin, at this time, when when you are starting to take these steps back, you're obviously surrounded by leaders, right? And you've been put in a position of leadership. So what was their response? What was the church uh, response as they were seeing you um, go back?
0: You know, surrounded by leaders, the pastor, there was another leader with me in the, as a um, youth leader, which none of them reached out to me. I didn't understand. I just felt like, well, I backslid, you know, and nobody wants me back in the church. I felt like there was no way back. I felt like I was outcasted from the church. I tried to go back to the church, but I didn't feel accepted no more. I felt like they looked down on me, but I know it was the enemy making me feel that I wasn't wanting no more. The enemy wanted me to stay in my sin, stay in the mud again. I was like a dog that returned back to his vomit. So I was there for many years. And as I find myself walking away from the Lord and drinking again. When I turned 21 years old, I catch my first DUI. With six violations from my past that I never took care of because I was in rehab in a Christian recovery home. And, you know, right coming out of rehab, you know, I started working, started working with the church, but I never took care of those violations I had from the past. So everything added up with that DUI. Then they gave me time in jail. Then I met the mother and my kids before I went in jail, though. While I'm in jail, I'm making phone calls, calling my mom. And my mom told me, you see, for walking away from God, look what happens. And I was like, yeah, whatever, you know? I didn't want nothing with God no more. I was too deep into the world again. And as I knew scripture, I ignored it. And I remember reading Hebrews. I remember reading all the scriptures talking about walking away from God. It's like recrucifying Christ again. And I just used to shake my head. I'm like, well, well, I did what I did. I'm here in sin again. And so I'm sitting in jail calling the mother of my kids. She told me she was pregnant. I got worried. I said, man, I'm about to be a father. And thank the Lord that I I came out right on time to see my child be born. I still didn't go back to Christ though, when I got out of jail. I just kept drinking, kept partying, kept doing things that were not pleasing to God at all. You know, I walked away from God for 12 years. In those 12 years that I walked away from God, backsliding, having sex with different women, it was worse than the first time. And that's when I started realizing what the Word of God says is real when that spirit leaves that body and goes roaming around trying to look rest in another body or another house, and that spirit comes back and finds it empty, it's gonna be worse than the first time. I started carrying guns. Then later on in those years that I'm walking away from the Lord, I catch my first domestic violence. I got in a big army with the mother and my kids. Now we have two children together at the time. And as I'm walking away from God, I remember there was nights that I'll come home drunk. And I remember knowing that I knew the way. And there was moments I start crying. There was a moment that I started crying telling God, God, I know I'm far away. God, I know that I walked away from you. But then I still wouldn't repent, though. But I'll talk to God, but I wouldn't repent. I just felt like there was no way back. I felt like I was so deep into my sin again. I felt like I was stuck there in this mud. So as years passed by, before my second child was born, I always wanted to feel validated, accepted by other people. I felt like I was casted out from a church, right? I felt like I was invalidated from that no more. Then as the years passed by, before my second child was born, I joined the motorcycle club, a one percenter club, that I go so deep into it, that to me, I knew it as a brotherhood. As I was living that life, traveling from different state to state, riding motorcycles, May 5th, I got arrested in 2014. I had four felony charges, assault, terrorist threats, brandishing a knife, Gang enhancement. I fought that court case for four years. I got slapped in the wrist with an assault, did community service. And I was like, oh well, whatever. I don't mind going to jail again. That was my mindset. It was just hard for me to find God again in those moments because I was going out in and out of jail already. Then later on, my third child was born. Before the pandemic, COVID hit in 2020, March 7th, 2020, I ended up in jail again with eight felony charges gun charges, assault, gang enhancement again, another two charges, where the guy ended up in the hospital. And I remember being in jail, sitting in my bunk, and I just remember shaking my head. My God, I'm here, because I'm not walking with you. I'm doing it my way. But my way is just taking me to jail. If it's not gonna be jail, it's gonna be death. Just like the word of God says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And I remember sitting down in my bunk, Talking to God again, here I go. But not repenting, but just telling God, God, if you get me out of this one, I will serve you again. So that same day I get belled out. My my bell was real high. I was able to bail out. And I remember getting home, hugging my, my youngest and my, my, my older children and hugging the mother and my kids. I couldn't even say sorry to them. I was ashamed, I was embarrassed for the things that I put them through, from not being there for them, for pleasing, other things other than pleasing God or pleasing my children. I was ignoring what God has given me. I was ignoring the blessings God gave me. I was leading them to destruction too. Just the way I was living my life, they were gonna be led the same way. But in the end of 2020, as COVID is passing by, I'm waiting for my court trial. And I kept checking in with my Bell Bond agent, like, hey man, you know, I need to go to Mexico. You know, so he checked up on he checked for me on in the internet, you know, or the DA's office to see if I had a court date. And I remember while the bail bond agent had me on hold, I started worrying. I was like, man, I hope I don't have a court date. And he gets back to me. He goes, Edwin, Garcia, um, I don't see no charges. And he looked up the DA's message, the DA's office message that they sent to them. They go, Garcia, your your charge has been exonerated. And I remember talking to a member from the motorcycle club I was from. I go, bro, can you believe, you know, my charge has been exonerated. And I remember the member telling me, bro, cause you're blessed. And I just stopped. And I was just thinking for a moment like, man, God, what are you trying to do in my life? There's something here that you're trying to show me. But I didn't listen. I kept drinking. I kept doing things that were not pleasing to God. So by the end of 2020 in December, I found myself in a situation where all this guilt started coming to my mind, all all these things that I was doing that were not pleasing to God. I remember I had this situation with the the ex-business partner at the time, which were business partners again by the grace of God. But me and him had an argument, which I knew he was looking for me at one point in his life, trying to kill me. You know, it was a bad business gone wrong between us. And I remember I was looking for him and I was looking for him in the end of December and I wanted to hurt him so bad. And I couldn't find them, I couldn't get a hold of them. Something was just not letting me get hold of them. And I remember this one morning waking up, I opened my phone and there was this preacher sharing a message that I opened my phone and this preacher goes, don't go there. Don't go fighting this guy. Don't go hurting this person that you wanna hurt. Get down on your knees and pray to God. And I'm like, God, this is a sign from you, for me to pray, for me to look for you. But I still didn't listen to that message but I know there was that tug in my heart. Then later on, when all this guilt, all these feelings were coming to my mind, I started feeling depressed. I started feeling ashamed for all the things I've done from walking away from God. I started crying out to God, but I still didn't repent. I didn't know how to repent. The moment felt like I couldn't let go. There was a, a fight between me, my flesh, that didn't want me to let go, that wanted me to keep living this life. And in the end of 2020, I went a whole week without eating. I fell in depression. I started hearing voices that I used to hear back then to kill myself again. And I remember driving my truck at night, coming out of work, screaming in my truck and stepping on the gas. And I wanted to crash into a light post. And every time I try to attempt it, I just start taking a deep breath and I couldn't do it no more. I-, I had to let go of the gas and I'll just start crying. And I'll get home, start crying and weeping on the floor, crying out to God. God help me. God changed me. And I just remember just talking to God those, those whole, that whole week that I didn't eat, crying out to God for God to deliver me, for God to help me change my mind again. And as I'm reconciling with God at the end of 2020, I asked the Lord to return to my heart. And as I'm asking God to return into my life, to come back into my life, scripture starts coming back to my mind. And I remember reading Revelations chapter 2, verse 4 saying, I have something against you. You have forsaken your first love. And as I'm hearing the Spirit of God talk to me in that moment, telling me that I've forsaken my first love, I just started crying. And I was telling God, God, here I am, use me. You brought me out of jail. You brought me out of this situation for me to serve you again, God. I'm sorry for walking away from you. I keep my life back to you, my God. As I'm reconciling with God, I started feeling the presence of God again. And I'm reading the scriptures again where it says, you know, look how far you have fallen return to the first things you used to do, where where I was a youth leader before, you know, and I used to preach in the streets, I used to go and evangelize. And I remember all this vision started coming back to my mind, things that I had to go back and do. As scripture's returning back to to my mind, the word of God, because the word of God says on John 14, 26 says, when the advocate comes, it will always remind you of things that he said. So when I repented, scripture just started coming back to my mind, things that I've read, The spirit of God just took control of my mind again, but I still had to fight and let go of something in my life. Something that I fell in love with, a brotherhood that I joined, a motorcycle club. I didn't know how to go about it. And I started feeling again like, man, people's gonna make fun of me. But I remember reading scriptures telling me, you can't serve two masters. You can't have one foot here and a foot over there. Either you're gonna serve me or not. So as the spirit of God is talking to me, I'm there weeping, crying out to God. January 2021 comes. I reached out to these members, talked to some members, and I told them, that's it. I'm serving God. And the first response I get, Edwin, we respect the things of God. I gave them everything that I once had, and I let go. Because the word of God says, you know, the cost to follow Christ is to let go of everything, give up everything for him and follow him, to deny yourself, So I had to deny myself once again and let Christ live in my life now. Not for me to live no more, but to Christ to live in me now. And as I'm there this January 2021, I'm being remorseful. I'm feeling that I need to invest a lot of time in the kingdom of God from all this time that I wasted. So I started just eating the word of God, eating the word of God. Like it says in Ezekiel, chapter three says, eat, eat the word. So I was just eating it, eating it. I was getting full of the word of God, but I kept asking God like, God, well show me what is it that you want me to do? Give me the direction that you want me to go from now. So as as I left the motorcycle club behind and took that step of faith forward to follow Christ again, no matter what I did in my past, I remember the scripture saying, you know, if whoever's in Christ is a new creation, the old has passed and the new is here. So as I reconciled with God from walking away from the Lord, like being a prodigal son, and returning back to the Father's house. I felt welcomed by God, not by no man, but by God. You know, cause I was always trying to look to feel, feel validated by a man or a pastor or somebody. But this time I felt God accepting me and telling me, come as you are. No matter how far I've fallen, how short I felt from the glory of God, God still received me with arms open like the prodigal son. And I felt that comfort. I felt that reconciliation with God. And when I'm asking God for direction, my mom invited me to Mexico to these recovery homes to go and preach. There was this pastor there. And I remember seeing them preach as I get to Mexico. As I'm walking through the doors, I start crying. I just felt this presence of God just sucking me into that, you know, and and bringing me there. And I was like, this is of you, God. This is where you have called me. As I'm crying, I'm seeing my mom pray for a woman. I'm seeing these brothers of Christ laying hands on the men. And as my mom walks back to me, I remember hugging my mom, crying on her shoulder, telling mom, this is what God has called me to do. I felt God tugging on my heart that moment, telling me, Edwin, this is where I brought you. Then later on, I remember sitting down with the pastor after service. And this pastor, you know, talking to me boldly, sat me down next to him. He goes, Edwin, God has called you. When he said that, I just felt confirmation from God. And this man telling me, you have that attitude that God needs that bonus to speak up about Christ. You have that mentality, which I remember the scripture he said, and I remember from years ago where Philippians 121 says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. God is looking for men and women that are willing to die for Christ because we know we die for Christ, we're gaining. And I remember him talking to me, pointing at me, God has called you. And I remember crying out to God and telling God, here I am, use me. Send me, I will go, like Prophet Isaiah. Then weeks later, I'm getting invited to the recovery homes to come and preach. But before I started preaching in the recovery homes, something deep inside me told me, go get your father, my blood father. My father was sleeping in the streets of Tijuana, Mexico. Then as the weeks are passing by, I put this to pray. And as I felt strengthened up again by the Lord to go and go get my father, I told my father about this recovery homes that we go and preach at. And but I still haven't preached it, but the pastors were preaching there I was there helping out. And as I go looking for my dad in Tijuana, I finally found him and I took him to go eat. And I'm just speaking to my dad directly, eye to eye. Dad, God has chosen you. You know about God. Repent, Reconcile with God. And I cause you see my father cry and cry as he's weeping right in front of me. He goes, okay, dad, let it out. Then later on, my dad made the decision to go with me to the recovery home. So I took him to the recovery homes where I go with these pastors to go preach. As we're driving out that way, it was a two hour drive. My dad was sleeping on the passenger seat. I'm even checking on my dad's pulse to make sure he's alive because he's been up nights, restless, sleepless. He was consuming a lot of meth. As we get to the recovery home, I remember my dad waking up finally. and My father telling me, why'd you bring me here to this place? And it was not even in the city of Mexicali, it was like in the outskirts of Mexicali, Mexico. And this recovery home looked like a jail, it looked like a prison. There was even towers, you know, where they had the guards on the corners, you know, making sure nobody escapes from the recovery home. And my dad just started cursing me out at that moment. And I knew it wasn't my father, it was something else. It was not my father. That voice I was speaking through my father, it was the enemy. So I just put it to pray. I put it a prayer in that moment. I said, God, take control of my dad. My dad started walking away from the recovery home. I remember the director from the home came out and told me, hey, Edwin, you want us to go get your father? And I was like, it's up to you guys. But let me just tell you something. I know my father. My father's not an easy guy. So they went. They went in a van. They went to get my dad. It was like a quarter mile away. My dad walked away from. And they all got off the van. And I just remember seeing my father swinging at these men from far away, but next thing you know, they just clinched them, took them in in the, in the van, and they brought them into the home. And I remember the director of the home goes, you know what, well, Edwin, it'd be better for you not to come, like in two weeks, let your dad just go through what he has to go through, then come back later. And the pastor told me at the same time too, he was like, yeah, we'll come back later, but when we come back later, get ready, cause you're gonna preach, and your dad's gonna see you preaching. As those weeks passed by, it was day of service. The day I had to preach in Mexicali, the calling where God brought me to, to go preach out there in Mexico. And I'm there preaching. I remember sharing the word of God. And I start seeing my dad broken right there. God tugging at his heart, him himself reconciling with God as well. God had to use me as a vessel to go reach out my father and bring him out of that lifestyle he was living as well. And later on, you know, as time goes by, my dad's there reading the word too. I'm there faithfully going to Mehikali, preaching the gospel and God just working on my life. Because what the word of God says in Philippians 1.6 says, he who started a good work in you will finish it to the end. No matter what, how far or short of the glory of God we have fallen, God still has a purpose in our lives to reconcile us, to bring us back to Christ. God is always gonna come and tug at our hearts because that's what God was doing in my life, tugging at my heart. No matter how far I walked away from the presence of God, God was still there, was still there for me right on time to bring me out of the gutter, to bring me out of the mud, to bring me out of jail, for me to be able to serve God, for me to be able to share the gospel to all His creation. Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not come into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through His Son. And the Son is the one that lives in us, Jesus Christ. And the Son, it's the one who should we testify about, because this is what Christ has done in my life. He has came to restore my life, to give me a new direction. He's the one that made the way when nobody thought there was a way for me no more. When I didn't think there was a way, God makes a way all the time. He has the power, he has the authority, the control of every human's mind and thought and heart, because God has the control. Amen. Edwin- for, for people
1: who are watching right now that may be in that same state that you were uh, when you began to go back into the world, after encountering His presence, after surrendering your life to Him, well, what can you say to that person that's watching your testimony right now that's
0: actively in that place? If you're a person that has walked away from God, from serving God, serving in a church, the words that I have in my heart to share with you is to return to the Lord before it's too late. Just like the word of God says, Revelation chapter two, verses four and five. Look how far you've fallen. Repent, because he's right around the corner. He could take your lampstand away. And all I could remember is the 10 virgins that had their lamps ready and the other five didn't. Let's not take this for granted because the day of tomorrow is not promised. But by the grace of God, God's giving you another opportunity today to repent and to follow him once again. God doesn't want you to be in the world. God chosen you out of the world. God chosen the foolish things out of the world to shame the wise. He brought you out of the world to make you into a child of God. Edwin, for the, the, the people who are involved
1: with these uh, motorcycle gangs, what can you say to that person who's watching your testimony right now? Maybe somebody shared it to them. Maybe they just came across it and are actively in that place.
0: What I gotta say about motorcycle clubs, somebody that's in a club right now, what I gotta say to them is God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose for your life. And if you're hearing this, it's not a coincidence because God is calling you out of that lifestyle too for you to serve God, for you to follow Jesus Christ, for you to follow the creator that created you and to obey him. Because without Christ, we're nothing. With Christ, you have victory. You can overcome just like I overcame. God doesn't want you to live in fear. You can feel validated through Christ, not through the person next to you, but through Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Edwin,
1: what is, uh, very briefly, you mentioned you have three kids. What is your relationship? Are you with the same, uh, with the mother of your children?
0: I have three children. Me and my wife, we got married when I reconciled with God. God restored my relationship with her you know, which she didn't know nothing about God either. And while I reconciled with God and we got married in April of 2021, she accepted Christ too. God restored our relationship. There was a lot of hurt in the past. She even forgave me. God changed her heart too. And our our bond, our love, our marriage is strong. You know, even the bond with my kids, it's something that I don't even wanna let go. You know, it's, The love of God, that I was able to bring the love of God into my marriage now, which me and her didn't have the love of God. When you don't have the love of God in a marriage, you're going to have conflict. You're going to have problems. You're going to have desires to look at another woman or another man. Because when you love God, you're going to want to stay faithful to that one person because you're faithful to God. You're not going to want to disobey God because he who finds a wife finds favor from God. Amen. Edwin, who is Jesus to you? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. He is my light. Just like the Word of God says, He is the light of the world. Whoever follows Him will not be in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's who Jesus is. He is the light that came into the world, but many didn't want to accept the light. But we, that are in Christ, we have the light of the world and we could share the light of the world to others that need the light to come out of darkness. That's who my Jesus is. Amen. Edwin, any last
1: words for people who are watching your testimony right now?
0: If you're watching my testimony, I pray and hope this uplifts you. This helps you out to find your way back to Christ, for you to reconcile with God, for you to be directed to Christ again, no matter what, who doesn't ever listen to you or you feel that you're not accepted by another church. But let me tell you something, when you repent and you ask for forgiveness, God is there to receive you in his arms. Just like Isaiah 59 verse one says, the arm of the Lord's never too short and his ear never too dull to hear. God is there to listen to you. God is there to stretch his arm out to you. Have faith and believe with all your heart. Thank Lastly, you. Edwin,
1: for anybody who's watching, if you could just uh, just pray for, for the viewers who are on the other
0: screen. Heavenly Father, I come before you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, my God, I pray, Lord, for whoever's watching this testimony, my God, that you touch their hearts, my God, that you touch their minds, my God, that you could renew their hearts, my God, that they could draw near to you, my God, so you could draw near to them, my God. You have the power to heal them, my God. You have the authority, Lord, to rebuke and destroy and demolish any stronghold they're facing, my God, or any attack from the devil, my God. You have the power and the control, my God, and I uplift every person that's watching this, Lord, That you give them the victory, my God, through you, Jesus Christ. Because in you, my God, there is victory. And I thank you, my Lord Jesus Christ, for every single person watching this testimony. In Jesus' name, amen.